I'm thankful that we serve a big enough God to worship. I want you to think about what I just said. I'm glad that we serve a big enough God to worship. If he was a small God, he wouldn't be worthy of worship. But I believe that he's worthy of all of our worship tonight. Amen. 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 So glad that you're here tonight. And I want to say along with Pastor, we want to thank everyone who who gives themselves your time, talent, treasure, testimony every single week, every single day to the kingdom of God. You're not doing it for us. You're doing it for him. Because everything that we do around here, every effort that we make, it's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ and his kingdom coming on earth. And I'm excited about what God's doing at TPC. Amen. You can be seated tonight. I've traveled along. I've traveled many places, not as much as others. I've been around the church world my entire life. I'm a preacher's kid. I've preached a lot of places. I've been privileged to preach South America, Mexico, across the United States. I've been in preachers' homes. I've been in the lives of preachers. And I can truly say that TPC is blessed with two of the best people to lead this congregation and brother and sister Neelan. I'm not saying that because I work here or work for them or work for the church. I'm saying that because I know what I know. And there's a lot of places that have on the outside look very spiritual very well put together, but they're very unhealthy. And we're blessed that we have healthy leadership in our lives. Amen. You should be thankful for that. I know that you are. Are you thankful for that tonight? I'm thankful for that tonight, and I'm very thankful for them. We're going to kind of turn the page. I know that we've been talking the last few weeks about our identity in Christ. And uh, I know that we could spend absolutely weeks and months on that. And uh, we could keep going with that. But I do want to switch gears and share something with you that's probably, uh, it's probably very practical, but at the same time, it may be one of the most helpful things uh, that we've talked about here lately on Wednesday night. How many of you have ever been discouraged? Raise your hand. You've ever been discouraged. All right. Some of you are not raising your hand, so you're just lying in the house of the Lord. So that's okay. (laughs) All of us have encountered discouragement. Amen. We may not have identified it as discouragement, but we've all encountered discouragement. I read a little uh, story. um, It was just an illustration and talking about an old man was walking by a house one day and there was a garage sale going on and it was actually Satan. Satan was having a garage sale. Just stay with me. It's Wednesday night. All right. (laughs) Satan was having a garage sale and he had some items out there on some tables and he walked in and, and a part of the garage sale, brother Jason was some items, some tools in the shop. And all of these tools were labeled and they had different prices on them. And there was tools like envy. There was tools like jealousy, tools like lust, tools like pride. And you could just go on down the line. 
And there was a really big, nice tool sitting in the corner, and it said, not for sale. And the gentleman that walked up there, he was perplexed. He said, I thought all of these tools were for sale. And he said, not that tool. Satan told him, he said, not that tool. And he said, well, what, what is that tool? He said, that's the tool of discouragement. And he said, I've been using that tool against the people of God for centuries. And it's one of my most effective tools. That tool is not for sale. It's an interesting illustration because we understand that we can all be in a place of discouragement. I know a lot of people say that the world's getting worse, but I'll have to tell you, the world's always been bad. The world has been bad since the ancient of times. The world has been bad since Jesus's day. We just see more of it in our face because we see it on our phone. It's magnified because of social media and all the media of this world. When God gave us a free choice in the garden and Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible said it's evil. And from that point forward, evil began to reign. And from that point forward, discouragement entered in to the human race. I don't know what you're discouraged about tonight, if you are discouraged, but if you've ever been discouraged by finances, by a doctor's report, by relationships, you picked a good Wednesday night to come to church because I believe that Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, if you want to turn over there, I believe that Paul gives us some illustrations and some tools. Everybody say some tools to help us with this. Discouragement can be quite debilitating. It can cause us to give up trying. It can cause us to give up hoping. We can call, it can cause us to give up caring, right? Anybody been there before? How many of you have been so discouraged over something you just said, ah, I give up. I throw in the, t-. anybody? All of us, right? It's something that we all have in common. And guess what? Ladies and gentlemen, you're in good company because it's also something that we have in common with the people that are in the Bible. Yeah. Exodus six and nine says this, and this is in your notes. Moses told the people that what the Lord had said, but they would not listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the increasing burden of their slavery. I wonder what you feel is enslaving you and getting you down today. I wonder what problem you've had that you've had it for so long that now it's become chronic. There's some things in life and there's some places in our life where we deal with discouragement long enough, it becomes like a chronic health condition. And if you can get discouraged like this, people, they want, they refuse to even listen to God. They could not even hear from God. Why? Because they were so discouraged. The burden was heavy in their life. How many of you have been so overwhelmed where you just felt like shutting all the doors, closing all the windows, turning off all the lights, putting your heads under the, anybody want to be real tonight? Amen putting your heads under the covers and say, Lord, I give up. You know, the beautiful thing about when we get to that point, sometimes, and this is not in my notes, but I just want to add this. Sometimes when we get to those points where we say, Lord, I give up and I surrender, I can't take it anymore. Sometimes those are the best prayers. Amen. 
David felt this in Psalms 42.5. He says, why am I so discouraged? Why am I sad? Then he answers his own question. I will put my hope in God. So anytime that we feel discouraged, what's the antidote? We have to change the way that we think. We have to change our focus. Literally, we have to say this with me. We have to change our mind. Say this with me. Change my thoughts. Change my life. Let me say it again. Change my thoughts. Change my life. It's just that simple. If we will change the way that we think about what we're discouraged by, God can change our lives. Paul had an incredibly harsh life, certainly a whole lot tougher than many of us have had in our life. If, if you don't believe this, and I'm reading to you from a different translation, but look at Paul's testimony. He says, I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently because of the preaching of the gospel. I've been flogged more severely. How many of you have been flogged in your life? Not whipped by your mom, but, you know, like flogged with the whip. That's not a very good thing there. I've been exposed to death again and again. They tried to kill him, right? Over and over. They tried to throw him over a wall. They tried to stone him. Five times I received 39 lashes with a whip. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, stoned to death. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea, and I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, from bandits, from my own countrymen. I've been in danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city and in the country and at sea, and danger from false brothers. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger, thirst, gone without food. I've been cold. I've been naked. I've had no clothes. Besides everything else I face daily, the pressures of my concern and the weight that I caught that I feel for all the churches that I have planted, and we think that we have problems. If anyone had a right to be discouraged, I would say that it was the Apostle Paul. If your life was that way, you would have a right to be discouraged. But Paul comes alongside of us, and he's going to help us. And I hope for the next 20 minutes that I can share seven things here that are in 2 Corinthians 4 that are going to encourage you. Everybody say, encourage you. Look at your neighbor and say, be encouraged. Look at your other neighbor and say, I want you to leave encouraged with Paul's word today. I don't want you to leave discouraged. There's no reason for you to leave discouraged. I know you can leave still tired because you've had a long day. I'm not discounting that. All of us have had long days. But I don't want you to leave discouraged. Why? Because the word of God can change the way that we think about the circumstance that we're in. Amen. Are you with me? How many of you are facing a situation that seems perpetual and you can't get an answer or relief from it? Okay, almost all of us in this room. It doesn't take a prophet to figure that out. So I know that I'm talking to the right people. The number one thing, the first thing, the first secret of defeating discouragement is this. Never forget how much God loves you. Never forget how much God loves you. We have to keep this in constant focus if we're going to overcome discouragement because everything in this life, in our spiritual life, ladies and gentlemen, flows out of our understanding of the love of God, flows out of our understanding of the mercy of God and the grace of God, out of the kindness of God. We've said it many times. Every good thing in your life is a gift of God's grace. 
Now we hear the fact, and pastor has been preaching to us for weeks now about God's love. The fact that we know that God loves us. It's a cliche almost in the Christian world. We hear it preached time after time. But how many times do we really feel God's love for us? That's when you start to get discouraged. It's not enough that God's grace to understand God's grace and God's emergency at a mental level. We must understand what it means to feel. Everybody say feel. When's the last time that you have encountered the grace of God to the extent that it moved you to tears? When's the last time that you heard the gospel preached uh, and it moved you to an understanding that God loved you so much that he came in human form to die for you? Amen. I'm afraid some of us have been in church so long we're not moved by that anymore. And if we are to that point, please find a place of prayer and thank the Lord for his grace and for the gospel until God moves again on your heart. Because just like pastor said Sunday, that was, that's when we get into a place where we can be Christians with hard hearts. Amen. Second Corinthians 4, 1, Paul says this, God in his mercy has given us this ministry and work to do. This is why we do not become discouraged. Paul says, I'm not going to give up. This is why I'm not going. He says this three or four times in this chapter. This is why I'm not going to get discouraged. This whole chapter is about discouragement. And he starts by saying, I will not be discouraged. Why? Because I can remember how much God loves me. I remember the mercy of God. I remember the grace of God. I remember the times in my life, the kindness of God. I remember when God, it almost felt like it came out of nowhere and God reminded me of how good he is and how awesome he is and how, anybody? I remember in those times when I was so discouraged, even this very week after doing ministry for days, I came home and I just felt the spirit of discouragement. That's why I'm going to preach to myself tonight and then just last night, later in the night the Lord just whispered to me in such a sweet way uh, and he reminded me uh, how much he loves me and how much he cares for me and how much he's for me and this is what Paul's saying he says I will not forget how much God loves me he says I will not forget how much mercy has been given to me the breath that you're breathing right now ladies and gentlemen the fact that there are waves going through your brain uh, the fact that you can put two thoughts together uh, the fact that your body has functioned uh, and you've walked into this building uh, all of that is a gift of God. What is mercy? Mercy is when God gives me what I need even though I don't deserve it. Let me say that again. Mercy is what God gives me when I, what I need when I don't deserve it. Mercy is when God knows every mistake I'll make in my life, yet still he still created my life. Mercy is when God puts a call on your life, even though you know he knows that God, you're going to fail him. That's mercy. God knows every sin I'll commit in my life, and yet he still pays the price for my salvation. God knows every single thing about you yet he has the endless capacity to still love you that is mercy Paul says for me to not get discouraged what I have to do is I have to focus on mercy everybody say focus on mercy 
So if you're going to get discouraged tomorrow on Thursday, I want, I hope this rings in your spirit. Uh, tomorrow at 10.05, uh, when you get discouraged on your job, uh, let the Holy Ghost remind you of God's mercy. Amen. Amen. I guarantee you when you get discouraged at that moment, you stop feeling and misunderstand the purpose of what God has created in you. You stop mis you start to misunderstand the love of God. Sometimes we get into a place where we stop feeling the love of God. Amen. Anybody would be honest enough to say sometimes you just feel like God's turned his back on you. It's been quiet a while. Amen. Anybody with me? I don't know why, but a lot of people who follow the Lord for a long time, they've been Christians for a long time, they don't feel God's love because they only think that God speaks to them in a critical voice. They hear their parents, their mother, their father, their step-parents, and every time God speaks to them, it's always negative. Friends, let me tell you something. If the voice that you hear is always negative, it's probably not always God. That's a good word right there. Does God correct? Yes, he does. But he always corrects out of love. His holiness comes out of his love. Amen. Let me say that again. His holiness comes out of his love. His correction comes out of his love. If it's fear-based, it's not of God. That's of Satan. Oh, that's good preaching right there. So if the voice in your ear is based on fear, then that's not of God. That's of the enemy. Now, he can sound like God. He can sound like God. How many of you have ever dealt with negative people? All of us. If you live with one, don't raise your hand. Hallelujah. <laughs> Remember that you were created to be loved by God. Yes, you were you made to, for God to love you. We've talked about this many times. Pastor's been preaching on this, but I just want to reemphasize this. The number one purpose of your life is not for you to do good, be good. The number one purpose is for you to understand that God loves you and he created you out of that love. Are you letting God love you? Oh, man, that'll preach right there. Are you letting God love you? Too many of us have forgotten the love of God and we've kept it at arm's length for whatever reason. Why? Because we don't understand it. You don't have to understand it to receive it. It's a free gift from God. That's your first purpose. God made you to love you. He made you to love you. Look at your neighbor and say, God made you to love you. Get that in your thick skull. Amen. Come on. This is Bible class here. All right. Now, this is what it means to have the mercy and the grace and the love of God always on your mind. Two benefits. I didn't put this in your notes, but this is good. Number one, I don't have to prove my worth. So get off the performance trap. Amen. That, that's good right there. I don't have to prove my worth. If I focus on God's love, mercy, and grace, I do not have to prove my worth. I don't have to prove it to you, and I don't have to prove it to God. Amen? Number two, I don't have to wallow in my failures. Why? Because, because of God's love, my failures are now under the blood. So I don't have to wallow in the failures of yesterday. I can do what? I can turn my mind and my heart and my spirit and focus on the fact that God loves me today. The same what? Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And no matter how you feel when you get up, guess what? You can't stop God's love for you. You cannot stop God loving you. 
That should encourage you. Are you with me on a Wednesday night? That should encourage you. You cannot stop God loving you. What if I did something bad today? What if I said something bad today? What if I cussed out my wife today? Repent, but God still loves you. Amen. Amen. That's good. Second thing, second key Paul tells us to defeating discouragement is, and this is important, be real. In other words, don't fake it. What I'm talking about here is living an authentic, genuine, real life before God and before man. There is nothing more discouraging than trying to be something you're not. Because when you wear a mask, when you act, when you pose, it gets tiring, right? And you're afraid that other people might find out who you really are, and you're afraid that God might not love you. Ladies and gentlemen, God knows everything about you. I just said it. God knows everything about you. God knows the deepest, darkest recesses of your heart. The ugliest side of you that anyone could ever discover, God already knows about it. And he still has the endless capacity to love you. It's tiring to try to be something that you're not. Someone said it this way. It's not original with me. God made you an original. Don't die a fake copy. Stop trying to be, live for the pleasure of, or the pleasing of other people, the approval of other people. God did not even create you or put you on this earth for the approval of other people. He created you on and put you on this earth to be who you are. Now, he loves you enough to not leave you in your mess. He loves you enough and not to not leave you in the chaos of the dysfunction of your life. He loves you enough to do what? To bring you, just like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, along the journey of sanctification to make you more like Jesus. But he still loves you. Paul says, don't fake it. Everybody say, don't fake it. You heard the term fake it till you make it? That's not good New Testament theology. He says this in 2 Corinthians 4 too. We don't try to trick anyone. In other words, we're not putting on a religious air and mask trying to prove ourselves. He says we're not trying to pretend something we're not. We don't even twist the word of God and try to teach it in a way that's pleasing unto you. I'm, Paul says I'm going to teach the word of God so plain. I'm going to show you who I am and who God is in my life. Then they can know in their hearts, Paul says, what kind of people we are in God's sight. Paul says, I'm trying to be myself. I'm not trying to please uh, everyone else. I'm not going to hide. What you see is what you get. Man, I, maybe I'm just talking to myself. I don't know. But there's nothing more discouraging than trying to please everybody. And I want to try to please everybody. But people-pleasing is a trap. Hallelujah. God can't even please everybody. Amen. I said God can't even please everybody. Right? On Sunday nights, people were praying for the Giants to win. The rest of us were praying for the Cowboys to win. Go Cowboys. Amen. You see who God heard in his prayer. Hallelujah. No, that's not the way that God works. God's not interested in a football game. Amen. Amen. But even God can't please everybody. Right. right? Are you with me? That's life, folks. So if God can't please everybody, guess what? You're not going to please everybody. 
I wish that every single person in this room loved me, believed in me, and I could all, I could make every single one of you happy. I know your pastor and sister Neelan do as well, but guess what? That's not the reality of the world that we live in. Why? We're people. This room is filled with human beings. And as I say all the time, people are going to people. Humans are going to be humans. And so we can't please every single person. But here's the beautiful thing. I want to leave you with this tonight. You don't have to be perfect for God to bless you. But you do have to be authentic. You don't have to be perfect, but you got to be real. Paul says, first, I want you to remember that God is not going to stop loving you. And second, he made you exactly who you are. Every one of us, no matter our shape, size, language, where we came from, our hair color, our no hair color, whatever it is, God made you exactly who you are and he loves you like you are. Right? And here's the thing. I can stand up here and pretend to you that I've got it all together. But me having it all together is not going to help you. In fact, if I will spend time with you, sharing with you my weaknesses, you'll learn more from my weaknesses than you will my strengths. Why? Because it is actually through our weaknesses that we actually help other people. You know why people can't stand religious people? Because they can't live up to that. Let me say that again. People cannot live up. We can't even live up to our own religious measure. Much less people trying to live up to it. Amen? Amen? What keeps you from being honest about your weaknesses is your own fear of rejection. And what's the antidote to the fear of rejection? Number one, focusing on God's unconditional love for me. And if I'm focused on how much God loves me, if God loves me, I said, if God loves me, I have to understand sometimes some of us don't love ourselves, right? And we've got to learn to love ourselves before we can love others. But the first place you got to start is understanding that God still loves you. On my bad days, yes, on your bad days. Now, he don't want you to live in your bad days. Are you with me? He doesn't want you to live bound. He doesn't want you to live down. He doesn't want you to live with the things of this world weighing you down. He wants you to be an overcomer. But you've got to learn to do what? Focus on his love. Everybody say focus on his love. The third secret to defeating discouragement is this. Remember that it's not about me. Remember that it's not about me. The more self-focused I am in this life, the more prone to discouragement I'm going to be. How do I know if I'm self-focused or others-focused? Do an inventory of your prayer tomorrow. Are the majority of the things that you pray about tomorrow in the morning or tomorrow evening or tonight, are the majority of those things about you and the people that are around you, or are they about others in the things of this world? Every time you forget that life is bigger than you and you're not the center of the universe, you're not God's gift to the world, you're not even holding the world up, right? Are you with me? You, we all think it's about us, and anytime we do that, we forget that it's not about us. We're going to get either prideful, or we're going to get fearful, or we're going to get bitter. Hear me very careful. This is going to help somebody right here. Prideful, fearful, or bitter. 
Because God did not make the world to revolve around you. Not only that, when you think everything is about you, then you also get in a trap because you begin to think everything personally. And you get your feelings hurt more than if you don't think it's about you. Here's the next verse, 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. Our message, Paul says, is not about ourself. It is about who Jesus Christ is. Paul says we are merely servants of the gospel for the sake of Christ. Everybody say for the sake of Christ. It says a couple of important things in the verse. First, our message is not about ourselves. God has a unique life message for you. And he puts you on this earth. And he has a message he wants to say through the world, to the world, through you. Every single person in here, hear me very carefully. Your story matters. Let me say it again. Your story matters. God can speak through you to people that God cannot speak through me to reach. Amen? It's the truth. The message that God wants to say through to you that is the whole world is called your life message. Everybody say your life message. But your life message is not about you. It's about what? Who Jesus Christ is. And what God is doing, what? Through you. God did not put us on this earth for it to be about us. He put us on this earth for it to be about him. Why? He is our creator. Not only is he our creator, he's our savior. What creates something's value? Are you with me? What creates something's value? What creates something's value is what you're willing to pay for it. Are you with me? What's more valuable, my tennis shoes or Michael Jordan's tennis shoes? Well, obviously mine. Right? No, I see that was the wrong answer. Why? Because Michael Jordan played in those tennis shoes. It's, it's, those are more valuable on the market. All right? But hear me very carefully. God created you. And not only did he create you, but he paid the price through Jesus Christ for your salvation. So not only were you created by God, you were purchased by his blood. That's what creates your worth. So you can look at yourself in the mirror, and I know I've been, I, I've, I've done it myself. I can look at myself in the mirror. I've literally looked at myself in the mirror, getting dressed in the morning. I've turned to look at my wife and say, I thank God that your eyesight is getting worse. No. Well, maybe a couple of times. I say, I thank God through his grace that he put us together and you're still loving me after 25 years. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I know. I know some of you think you're just as sexy as you were 10 years ago. I'm sorry. You're not. Right. But that's not our worth. Our worth is based on who created us and what he paid for us. I wish you'd get a hold of this. The world, the enemy, and your flesh will do everything it can for us to get our eyes on ourselves. How do I know? I can prove it to you right here in this little device right here. This little device right here is what? It's all about self. It's all about self. Facebook is all about self. Uh, all, I just go down the line. I won't go. I won't start there. Instagram, Twitter. It's all about what? It's all about self we can't even help ourselves when i focus on myself though ladies and gentlemen hear me very carefully 
Every time I focus on David Grigsby, I will get discouraged. The second part of this verse, he says, not only it's not about us, but we are servants for Jesus' sake. Everybody say Jesus' sake. He says it twice in this chapter. He says, this is our motivation, ladies and gentlemen. God is always more interested in why you do what you do than what you do. He's always more interested in the motivation of your heart. God is always more interested in why you're doing what you're doing than he is in what or even how. Because why? He cares about the motivations of your heart. And hear me very carefully. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason. Why always determines. Here, look. Let me hear me. You should write this down. Why always determines how long in your life. If you if you go on a project or you get a goal or you get an ambition and you forget why, you'll always get discouraged and quit. Are you with me? When we forget our purpose, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. I just did a men's retreat and the Lord dropped a thought in my mind. David got in trouble when he stayed home in Jerusalem, and he, struck, he started looking at Bathsheba, and the reason he got in trouble is he forgot his purpose. The Bible says he should have been out at war. It was the time when kings go to war, and David, what? He forgot his purpose, he stayed home, and he lusted after Bathsheba, forced himself on her, and killed, his, killed her husband. Why? All because David forgot his purpose. Ladies and gentlemen, do not forget your purpose. If you forget your purpose, you'll get discouraged and you will want to quit. That's why we're in this for the long haul. I said, that's why we're in this for the long haul. We've got to be in this for the long haul. You know why all these people could stand up and serve tonight and say that they serve the kingdom of God? Why? Because we're in it for the long haul. And we're not in it for ourselves. We're in it to see people come to the saving grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The moment we get our eyes off of that purpose is the moment that we'll settle and die. And there's a lot of people in church who have already settled and they're dying. They just haven't died physically yet. Oh, that's a good word right there. Why? Because they're living in the land of discouragement. A lot of people start off in life knowing what they want to do and why they want to do it. And this particular career, marry this person, whatever it is. And when you, you know what? When you forget why you married the person. When you forget why you got into the career, when you forget why you gave your life to Jesus Christ, when you forget the why, you're always going to get stuck in discouragement. Discouragement always happens when we forget the why. Say that with me. Discouragement always happens when we forget the why. We get discouraged when we forget our purpose and we fall into temptation when we forget our purpose. Amen? Number four, the fourth secret to defeating discouragement is this next verse. It has to do with this. I need to relax, hear me very carefully, in my limitations. You, you need to write that down. All of us, no matter how superhero we may think we are, are still limited in this world. 
Because when you get discouraged, when you try to be Superman, you try to be Superwoman, you get discouraged and you always try to do more than is humanly possible. And you have not relaxed in your limitations. I have not relaxed in my limitations. And what we all need is a realistic view of ourself. I remember when I first got involved in church work, I never asked for anyone's help. I worked seven days a week, 12 hours a day, nonstop. I never asked for a volunteer. I never asked for anyone to come help me. I was determined to do it all myself. Guess what that did? Number one, it cost me physically in my body because you can't live like that. There's a reason that the Sabbath is from the very point of creation. Are you with me? I know I lost some of you on Sabbath there. There's a reason that God created Sabbath and the only day he created was not a day he worked, but a day he rested. So there's a rhythm in our life that has, there has to be a rhythm in our life that realizes our limitations. The second thing that I did when I tried to do it for myself is I kept somebody else from being blessed because they were not able to be a part of what God was trying to do in the kingdom. Amen. So I need a realistic view of me. You need a realistic view of yourself. The facts are that you cannot fix everyone's problems. You want to know why you want, I mean, let me, let me just, this is just a side note. You want to know why this is so dangerous? We're taking in more information in than we possibly can comprehend and download. Are you with me? We're taking all of this information in. We're taking more information in than we've ever have before. And God did not create you with the capacity to carry the concern and the weight of all of the brokenness in this world by yourself. That's a good word. But you know what we do? We still partake in it anyway. Why? Because we always want to know. And we do not realize the limit. I said we do not realize the limit of how God created us. God created us with limits. God created us with margin. Everybody say margin. If we do not have margin in our life, if we do not have limits in our life, we are going to explode all over somebody else's life. Because we don't have the capacity to take it in. Amen. We can't fix everyone's problem. And as long as you're in this human body, you can't be in spirit somewhere else. You can only be where your body is. So you can't do everything that you want to do. I've often said I would love for there to be three of me. Right? One of me on the couch at home. Hallelujah. The other of me working a job. The other of me in a duck blind. I just need three of me, Brother Jason. That's all I need. But God did not create us like that. He created us with limits. Everybody say limits. Anytime we don't live within the limitations of our life that are normal, we're going to get discouraged. Why? Because we think we can do it all ourselves. We cram too much into our schedule because it's easier to cram too much into our schedule than it is to fulfill our schedule. Are you with me? It's easier to make a promise than to keep a promise. It's easier to get into debt than to get out of debt. 
Why? Because we're not relaxing. We're not relaxing in our limitations. Paul talks about literally physical limitations of our body in verse 7. He says that you need to know your limits. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to know your limits. You need to know the warning signs when you're overextended. Why? You only have one body. And Paul says, this is how, this is how feeble your body is. It's a clay pot. Are you with me? It's a clay pot. What happens if I took a clay pot and dropped it on this concrete floor? Would it stay whole? No, probably not. Amen? So he wants us to understand. Now, we have the treasure of God through the power of the Holy Ghost stored on the inside of that, but we're still limited by the physical bounds of this created body. God says our body is like clay jars, and every once in a while we get cracked. Every once in a while we get dropped here and there. And we have to be honest. We have to have renewal. And we have to be able to confront our own weaknesses. Amen? There's a process. This is, I wish I'd put this in your notes, but I didn't. But hear me very carefully if you can write it down. If not, I'll get it to you. There's usually a process that we go through when we confront our own weaknesses. Number one, we really don't think we have any. Right? Are you with me? Or we don't think we have any big ones, at least. Number two, then we discover, oh, we really do. Then number three, then we deny that we really did. Number four, then we try to hide them, especially if they're really big. Number five, then we're having to deal with them. Now we've got to rationalize them. Number six, then we just tried to excuse them. Then number seven, hopefully we can accept them. But hear me very carefully. Number eight, we ultimately need to know that God can always use them. Paul says, I glory in my weakness because when I'm weak, Jesus Christ is strong. When I am weak, he is strong through me. Think about it. God came into the human race through the weakness of what? An infant baby. He didn't enter into the human race. He didn't bring the kingdom into the earth with armies and trumpets and angels. I mean, what he did with angels, but a, a mighty army of angels. No, he came into the kingdom of this world through the weakness of a baby. Why? God always loves to use weak people who will trust him to be their strength. If you encounter people who always seem to be strong and always seem to have the answers, please stay away from them. Amen? Amen. That won't last very long. So this is what humility is all about. You've heard pastors say this, but I'm going to repeat this. And hear me very carefully. Humility is not denying your strengths. It's being honest about your weaknesses. Let me say that again. Humility is not denying your strengths. It's being honest about your weaknesses. You are the combination of strengths and weaknesses humility is being honest about your weaknesses and it's actually not thinking less of yourself it's just thinking of yourself less when you walk into a room do you think i wonder what everybody's going to think about me about how i look about my dress about my clothes if you think that way automatically that's pride 
But if you walk into a room and you go, who in this room could use some encouragement tonight? That's humility. Why? You're not busy thinking about yourself. Real humility is not thinking less about your strength. It's thinking about yourself less. We all have weaknesses. Everybody say, we all have weaknesses. I've come to the conclusion that you can be spiritually godly and emotionally dysfunctional all at the same time. Because people can be close to God. They can have a theology degree and Bible knowledge. They can have really good wisdom and they can be really jacked up in their emotions and their personalities. Amen. Just because you have a theology degree doesn't mean that you're really smart about everything in life. Right? So you got to be real. You got to be honest and you got to accept your limitations. Number five, and I'm hurrying. Oh, it's later than I thought. I apologize. The fifth secret to defeating discouragement is I've got to learn how to use my pain to help others. I've got to learn, everybody say learn, how to use my pain to help others. I'm going to give you the rest and I'm going to come back to this point. The sixth secret of defeating discouragement. So I know some of you just want to fill in all the blanks. You got to take time for renewal. You got to take time for renewal. Everybody say renewal. In other words, you got to learn to divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. Amen. Seventh thing is this, and this is a big one. You got to stay focused on eternity. Stay focused on eternity. I'll end right there. Paul's final secret of defeating discouragement is to not look at the here and now. He says we must maintain an eternal perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. He says this. He says everything that I've been through, everything that you've gone through, these Present problems, Paul says, are actually quite small. Paul, what? Compared to the weight of eternity and the beauty of God's glory and the joy of where I'm going. He said, even if I've had a chronic problem and I've had that problem every day of my life on this earth for 60, 70, 80 years, Paul says, I'm about to spend eternity in heaven reaping the rewards of the godliness of this life. Even if all of these present troubles, they are seem to overwhelm us, Paul says. He says they are quite small. Why? Because they won't last forever. They won't last forever. He says, we don't look at the troubles that we can see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we can't see. For the troubles that we will see and we do see in this life will soon be over. But the joy that is to come will last forever. Ladies and gentlemen, as you stand tonight, I leave you with one more verse. Hebrews 12 and 2. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. You want to know how to battle discouragement? Get your eyes off of your discouragement and get your eyes on Jesus. 
Paul said, if we'll do these things, I hope that you got them all. If you didn't, you can come to me afterwards and I'll fill them in for you. But Paul says, here's some secrets. Here's some secrets that can help you. You don't think that Paul didn't get discouraged? I guarantee you got Paul got discouraged. He was a human being just like you. Lord, take this thorn out of my flesh. Can't you relieve me? Can't you bring some relief to me? And we don't even know what that is. There's a lot of speculation. And what was God's answer? My grace is sufficient. Whatever you're going through tonight, God's grace is sufficient to strengthen you and to remind you that he is with you, that he loves you, that he cares for you. His mercy is being extended to you. When you wake up on Thursday morning, no matter how you feel, when you go to bed tonight, guess what? It's brand new mercies tomorrow. Can we just take a moment right now and just raise our hands toward heaven all over this house? Can we just thank the Lord for his word tonight? Lord, thank you for reminding us. Lord, thank you. Speak to us tonight, God, out of a very simple Bible study. Remind us that you love us. Remind us that you care for us. Remind us that it's not all about us, but it is about you. Let us keep our eyes focused on you. You have a message for us. You have a plan for us. You have a purpose for us. That you're calling us to something greater, something bigger, something more wonderful. Every person in this room under the sound of my voice matters. Their story matters. Their life matters. They're not here by accident. It's not inconsequential that they walked into TPC. God, you're doing something in this church that is monumental. And it's not about us, but it's about your kingdom going forth into this earth. We thank you, God, for it right now in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. We 